I think this episode is important to see courage and to see how somebody can go from a terrible low self-esteem to a courageous life with an unstoppable self-esteem. All right. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the NeuroFlex podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with us today, we have a very special guest, Christine Handy. Christine is the best-selling author of Walk Beside Me, a motivational speaker, model, humanitarian, mentor, mother, writer, student at Harvard, uh, who's currently getting her master's degree in creative writing and literature. And she's also on the board of two nonprofits, eBeauty and People of Purpose. So Christine, really excited to have you on the show with us today here. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So talk to me about um, just your kind of tell me a little about your, you know, upbringing and kind of getting into the, um, the wide array of different kind of career uh, ventures that you've now gotten into. Okay, that's a very loaded question, but I'll, I'll try yeah. to narrow it down. <laughs> um, I grew up in St. Louis, I grew up in the Midwest, which um, created really a lot of community values for me, which helped me served me in this life. I started working as a model at a very young age, uh, which also served me and also handicapped me, I guess both. And um, as an adult, I continued that course um, and of modeling and I still do it today, just in a different regard. Um, and it wasn't until I started to have major health issues that I changed the course of my life, but also my career. For example, after I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I went through um, 28 rounds of chemotherapy I then became a writer. I then went back to school. I then wrote my book. I then went on the boards of these two nonprofits. It, it was almost like up until 41, I just skated through life doing what I think that the world thought I should do and fell in line with that. And then after I was kind of pushed against the wall with a life or death situation, I decided that you know my time was marked like everybody else's, but it was more real. And I decided that if I had an opportunity to live out the dreams that I always wanted to do, which were, was to write, which was to go back to school, to Harvard and to, to learn, then this was my opportunity. And so, you know, based on that upbringing and that kind of community of people that I, I grew up knowing and, and was surrounded by, that's kind of led me as well into what I do now, which is to serve and to inspire and to help build bigger communities. Awesome. And, you know, reading the bio of your book, it sounds like, so that was based a lot on kind of personal experience or, you know, obviously it's a, it's a fictional book where we're the fictional characters, but it sounds like it's very kind of based on your own experiences in life. Yeah, it is a fictional depiction of my life currently oh. being um, slated to become a film, but it really is very, uh, well, all the all the quotes and all the emails in that book are exact, um, and I just changed some of the cities and the people's names just to protect some people. But it really is my life story. And what what inspired you to actually sort of having you know lived a lot of that story so far? Um, obviously, there's more of the your life story to go. But you know what what inspired you to want to share that you know on such a mass level? Well, I just was inspired to help people and it's not a self-help book, but there's so much 
of the book that teaches people to show up for each other. And I would say most of my life, especially in the modeling world, it was very transactional. And so when I was diagnosed with cancer and I had all these people, in particular, these women friends of mine show up for me, I realized the power of showing up for people. And so I almost wrote a love letter to my friends and, and, just, and just mirrored what they did for me to showcase what, how we can encourage other people and how we can cheer people on because it's really life or death in many situations. Like if people, especially like right now, look around, if people feel alone in their journeys, they're less inclined to fight. Same with me when I was diagnosed with cancer and I thought I have this percentile chance of survival. I can't do this alone. If I didn't have people show up for me and shore me forward, I would have quit. And so it's that it's that important. And so I wrote that book so that other people could have kind of a glossary of this is how you can show up in, in illness. It doesn't have to be breast cancer in trauma, but this is how important it is. And that's why I wrote it. Now you mentioned your, your friends kind of being there for you, you know, with you going through chemotherapy, were there anyone was, did it surprise you at all in terms of, you know, say who did show up and who you know, I'm sure there are probably people who you might have expected that were going to be there for you who might not have been. Did that process like teach you anything just about who was really there for you? It did. You know, I get asked that question a lot and the female relationships in my life all showed up for me. I did not have any of them disappoint me. And it almost became a little bit of a popularity contest because it, weirdly so. But one, you know, one, when you start to have some traction with people showing up, other people want to come on board. Right. And it's, it's the same with kind of forsaking people. If you, if you look at somebody's life and you think, oh, you know, people are forsaking them. Well, maybe I don't want to get too close, but if you see, you know, this kind of momentum of encouragement, you want to, people want to participate in it. It's just like, that's like life, but there were other people that were more significant in my life that, um, didn't show up as much, which was really disappointing. And those relationships have been severed and, and I'm okay with moving on from that because at the end of the day, when my life is over, I, we want people that are going to cheer us on, not people that are going to tear us apart. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. So in, in terms of like, just people being there, like, what, what do you think um, that changed just about, you know, the way you view friendships or people connections, like what would, what did that process kind of teach you? Well, I had some issues going on inside of my own home. And so my trust and faith in people was dissipating. And when I was diagnosed with cancer and had, I had two other major illnesses and I saw other people outside of my home show up for me. I, I just had this kind of renewal of faith in people. I also had two doctors that made terrible errors in my life. And I, and I, at a cost to myself, I have a fused arm. I'm in chronic pain. And I also lost my chest in 2020 to a MRSA infection, which was an infection that was misdiagnosed for several months. And so my trust in the medical world also dissipated because I, I thought, well, these are the people that went to medical school. These are the people that we are supposed to trust. And then when you lose that trust, you know, you're, you become a little bit concerned about, you know, life because these are the, these are authority. Right. 
And so uh, having these women show up for me and continue to show up for me in season after season, regardless if it was a season that was filled with joy or filled with pain, it didn't matter to them. It was that constant encouragement and that, that, that idea that they were going to show up regardless. And that rebuilt my trust in humanity. So, so it did sort of, I was, I was just going to ask that in terms of like, whether that just sort of shifted your trust to like trusting different people, but it sounds like it was more of like a global, you actually did feel like the humanity, like you didn't feel, you didn't walk away from that experience bitter and feeling like, you know, the medical system was out to get you or certain, is that what you say? Yeah, no, I, you know, I've gone through my, I've gone through stages or seasons of my life where I've felt a little bit of a victim and I've, I've, I've learned not to do that because victim, the victim mentality gets you nowhere. Right. And it's a perception. It's a focus. So I've chosen not to focus on that part of my life because I have had people disappoint me. Right. We all have. But if we focus on the champions that are in our life and we focus on the people that have shown up, that's a different you know, that's a different outcome, you know, in our head and also in our life. And so I try not to fall back into a victim mentality. I try to, you know, give out hope and, and to really, and speak to myself in that same regard, you speak to myself from that hope perspective and say, okay, no, these people showed up for you. It doesn't matter that this particular person didn't show up for you. Look at all these other people that showed up for you. And I try to speak about that because we can carry resentment but that's just a backpack of disappointment that hurts us it doesn't even hurt the person that disappointed us they don't care they've moved on <laughs> so we don't right. want to care yeah you're 100 percent right i so what was there anything specifically that that helped you like get out of that victim mentality and not keep carrying around that stuff that was really just hurting you in the long run oh i definitely had to retrain my head i had to retrain my brain i had to pour into my faith which you know, kind of leveled me onto stronger ground. You know, when I was dependent on outside accolades and people's approval of me, that was like quicksand and I was falling really, you know, really quickly. My self-esteem was not strong. And so I really had to spend many, many months and, and I still continue to do today, talking to myself differently at self-care. I have to take time for self-care. I have to, I learned tools like, because I researched it, nobody taught me to just care for myself differently. And that negative self-talk that can become very overwhelming to us. And I just took those thoughts captive. And I said, I'm not going to continue this, this thought pattern. I'm not going to carry these tapes that I should have shredded a long time ago. And even though I replaced those thoughts with positive affirmations and positive self-talk, I didn't necessarily believe it in the beginning. But the more you do it and the, the more continued practice that you make, the more you ultimately believe it. And now I believe that my self-esteem is unstoppable. I mean, I, I have a pretty big social media presence and I get, you know, trolls and criticized and, and I just, it doesn't affect me at all. People's opinions doesn't affect me at all, but that's like me retraining my head. It takes a long time and it's an arduous process, but once you get there, you can become unstoppable in your own self and it's it's very powerful yeah I love I love the way you put that because that I mean is exactly kind of the work that I'm in you know is is kind of harnessing what what you're talking about Julie the brain's neuroplasticity its ability to kind of rewire itself form new connections different connections based on you know the repetitive you know actions thoughts 
you know, feelings um, and that stuff can be completely changed. As you're saying, it, it sounded like kind of as you started to change them, you know, you, you alluded to like not, not fully believing that, that right. those, what you were telling yourself, but it was like, as you made those neural connections stronger, as you kind of deepened those, those pathways, they became, they, you know, stronger and stronger and you started to actually believe them. So I think that's just a really cool illustration really of how the mind works. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I also, I, for instance, I also, the reason I went back to school was because I had really terrible chemo brain. And for the listeners that don't know what chemo brain is, it's kind of this fog after you've gone through a lot of chemotherapy and maybe not a lot, maybe some people who have a little chemotherapy get chemo brain, but it's just like fog. I, you know, after I completed chemo, I would drive my car. And if nobody was on the road, there were times when I would like turn left or right. And I would forget which side of the street to drive on. That's how foggy my brain was. And I said to myself, nobody's going to fix this for you you have to fix this. And so I decided that I was going to go back to school. And because I had rebuilt my self-esteem on faith and, and worked on self-love and self-care, I said to myself, well, you should apply to Harvard, you know, because I wasn't afraid of rejection, you know, previously. And, you know, before I was diagnosed with cancer, I'd be so afraid to put myself out there that I would, you know, be rejected. And I, I just didn't matter anymore. If they rejected me, it, it wasn't going to hurt my self-esteem. I was just going to apply somewhere else. And so I applied to Harvard and I got in and I've been working in the master's program for about two and a half years. And my chemo brain is completely gone. You know, like the work you do, you have to, in order to change the chemo brain, I had to study, I had to pour into my brain. I had to work it as a muscle every single day. And it was hard, but it's gone. And, and one of the things you mentioned there in terms of, uh, in terms of not, being sort of offended, you know, or, or scared of rejection. What was sort of the process to get to that point of, of where you used to be? It sounds like you would have in that scenario been worried that if you applied to Harvard, that they rejected you. If they rejected you, you'd feel maybe really bad about yourself. But what, what got you to the point where you kind of became indifferent to how those sort of reactions actually affected you? Well, when you don't take things personally, your life can change dramatically. So for me, prior to, you know, I had a doctor tell me the percentile chance of survival at 41 and I had young kids. That's a real awakening. And I, at that point, I said to myself, okay, your time is limited. Everybody's is really, but we don't really think that right at 41 or 25 or 50, it doesn't matter. We don't really think, okay, tomorrow is not promised to me, but it really isn't. And so I thought to myself, gosh, all these things that I'm doing, you know, buying things and, and doing all these things in society and really begging for society to accept me, who gives a crap, right? <laughs> really, it's that simple on my deathbed. Do I really care about the accolades from society? And so it's just like this awakening of what really matters and what matters was love and what mattered was inspiring and leading and serving other people. And, and so I just had this major shift and I didn't care so much what other people thought of me. And that's kind of letting your pride and ego go. And when you allow that to kind of wash away and, and to not be so concerned about the external, 
then you're not so worried about rejection. And for me, most of my life, I was very concerned about what other people thought of me. I was very concerned about their approval and I was very worried about their rejection. But when I, man, when I was pushed against the wall and going through chemotherapy and, and really not want, not knowing if I was going to wake up the next day, I was like, I, I cannot worry about what other people think of me. All I have to, all I really care about is love, loving my children, showing them courage and showing up for myself today and getting rid of the outcome. Like when I was so focused on the outcome in life, like what other modeling job I can, can I get? You know, what other society event can I get invited to? What other bag can I buy? Man, that's so depleting and that's empty. But when I gave up any outcome, like even regardless if I was gonna survive cancer, if I just focused on today and showed up for myself, that's all that mattered. It, it's so interesting. I, I talk to friends about this all the time about how it's like, I feel like the, the seeking, like it makes sense, I feel like to seek social approval because we're social beings and people can benefit us in so many different ways, whether that's a job or a relationship, whatever. Um, but it seems like, I mean, I, it clicked for me at some point where it was like, really the less I sought other people's approval and more, the more I was just myself, the more I actually gained other people's approval. Like, right. or, or gained, you know, I don't even want to call it necessarily approval, but just, I think there's something about that authenticity of not people pleasing and not seeking people's approval that differentiates you from just the majority of people in today's world that, that I think people, I don't know, find very refreshing. Yeah. And it's that vulnerability, right? Like for me to say, I really don't care what other people think of me some people can be offended by that, but I think it's really powerful. And I hope it's teaching other people that they should kind of let go of their pride and their ego and their dependence on the outside world, because it won't fulfill them. It really is that empty. And it's never, you're never going to get society's approval. You're for me, I was like, I'm never going to be young enough. I'm never going to be pretty enough. I'm never going to be smart enough because society will never allow us that. But if I feel beautiful inside my own soul, that's what counts. Absolutely. It's a different focus. It's a different focus. Right. Right. So um, transitioning a little bit, tell me about kind of the, the nonprofits that you serve on the board of um, what, what led you to want to get involved in that. And just tell me a little more about that work. Yeah. So, you know, after I went through chemotherapy, I just decided that my life was going to be based on altruism and however that I could do that. And so that translated into book. And why, why I wrote it, it translated into becoming a professional speaker and it translated into even my modeling, which now I, I still model with a concave chest and I'm not modeling to, it's not for my vanity. It's not for myself. It's for, to show other women that cancer and losing your chest doesn't have to stop you. You know, I just walked in New York fashion week in, you know, the runway, you know, showcasing that this you know, new identity, this new, um, body that I have, it's, I'm not ashamed of it. It does look different than other women, but we're all different and we're all beautiful. And so, and so in, and that included the nonprofit work. I just was searching out other ways to serve. And so there's a nonprofit called eBeauty, which I serve on the board of, and it's a wig exchange program for women going through treatment who can't afford a wig. And for me, when I was going through treatment, my children wanted their mom to look like their mom. So I wore wigs all the time, but there's so many people in our world that can't afford a wig and they want to have a wig. 
and they've lost their hair. And so this is a free resource for people who are going through treatment. They can go to our website, ebeauty.com, and they can pick their wig, their style, the color, their, um, and it's a beautiful, it's a great resource. And the other nonprofit I work on is called People of Purpose. And it's a South Florida organization where we're trying to change the rate of recidivism in Palm Beach County. Per, I don't think right now the rate of recidivism is 97%, but when we started this organization, it was. I think it's down to 93%. So we're basically trying to change that. And it's a, it's a very big project, but we have amazing people on the board and we have a lot of community support. So those, those types of organizations like Feed My Soul <laughs> and they feed my self-love because I care so much about helping other people that it's a win-win for everybody. Right, right. And I would think just having, yeah, gone through certain stuff and then trying to not prevent other people from necessarily having to suffer exactly. as, maybe as badly as, as you did, potentially, I would That's see that as a big motivation. Yeah, that is the goal. Because I, I know the depth of despair I've gone through, and I just don't want that to happen to other people. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, in terms of your modeling career, just, and then given, you know, the light of, of the chemotherapy, the cancer, um, just, just what, sh and just, you know, you going through all of your kind of mindset changes, like what, what sort of happened? Because I feel like as you, you alluded to earlier, when we were talking, you know, um, modeling being like a very traditionally like transactional right. you know, sort of experience, maybe somewhat superficial, um, what sort of did that change as you went through your life, um, still modeling, but now it sounds like kind of maybe for a different purpose than when you originally started out? Absolutely. So when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I thought, okay, that's it. My career is over. And, you know, it was a tough moment for me because it was almost like I had modeled for so long. It was kind of a home I had built. And although it was very transactional, of course, very superficial, there were characters in that, you know, play that I had that throughout my life that I, I loved and I was dependent on. And there were models that I, I cared about and, and, and just going back to the set, right. And it just felt comfortable. And so to kind of give that up was very difficult for me. And so after I was finished with my chemotherapy and my hair grew back, I started to put my toe in the water with modeling. I, I, I had a new agency. I moved to Miami after my chemotherapy. I was living in Dallas. So I found an agency that took me and I did a few jobs, but it wasn't until I lost my chest in 2020 to a MRSA infection when I really had a fire in my belly to work more as a model because I would get all of these messages from people on social media saying, how do you, how do you wear that really tight fitting dress and just not, and, and feel so comfortable in it? Like I would get messages from people saying, I can't even show what this looks like to my own husband. And I just felt such empathy for those people because, you know, when I first lost my chest, it was devastating. I it wasn't something that I wanted. It was obviously very physically painful, but also emotionally painful. And so when I would get these messages, my heart would break. And so I thought, you know what? I have this platform. I have an ability to inspire other people so that they don't feel so alone in their pain and maybe to ignite some self-esteem in them and courage. 
And so I called my modeling agency and I said, I'd like to come back. I probably should come into the agency so you can see what's happened to my body. And they said, great. So I went in and I said, I'd really like to have a bigger audience because I think we can inspire more people. And I said, I'd really like to walk in New York Fashion Week. Now, I've never been a runway, runway model. I've only been a print model. And I've, so I've never walked the runway. I mean, maybe like a couple times over 40 years, but you know, runway models are different than print models. And so my agency said, well, you know, we'll, we'll put up a couple feelers out there. But I took it upon myself and I went up to New York Fashion Week in September and I went into fashion shows that I was not invited to. And I walked up to the brands that, you know, that I thought might, you know, hire me. And I just pushed my way in and I said, this is my name. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to inspire all these people who've gone through breast cancer, who've lost their chest, who need representation. And I, I found that four of them hired me to walk in February, New York Fashion Week. I did not need any help from my agencies. I did it on my own. All it does is it you know, takes a lot of courage, but if you have courage and you have self-worth and you're not worried about the outcome and you're not worried about rejection, then you're pretty much put yourself in any situation. And so I, I did New York Fashion Week and I can't tell you how many people I've inspired. And, and so that's using a, you know, my same platform that I felt very comfortable in most of my life, just in a very different way. Awesome. Yeah. And, and what were, what were some of the reactions from people as you did that sort of uh, modeling, you know, what, what did you hear from people in terms of like the, I assume probably people were pretty like inspired and, and changed by seeing yeah. you do what you do. Yeah, I was, you know, it was, it was well-received for sure. There was an article that came out about two weeks before fashion week. And my manager sent me this article and she said, Oh, take a look at this. And the article said the cover of this magazine, it's an online magazine called um, fashion. I think it's called runway. I, I can't remember. I'll, 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 I'll send you the article. Um, and it's about, and basically the magazine is all about fashion week. So Milan fashion week, New York fashion week, all these Barcelona fashion week. And all it is, is content about fashion weeks. And so the article said the one to watch in New York fashion week model Christine Handy. And it was this article about me and what I was trying to do and the journey that I was on. And so I think people were really inspired by it. Of course, I, you know, was very glad that that happened because it gave me a bigger audience to inspire more people. Right. Right. So kind of circling back to just, you know, your, um, your journey, you know, through, through chemotherapy and just everything that you learned with that, was there, was there ever a point or was there a clear like rock bottom that you ever hit where, where things really like changed in your head or was it more of just like a, you know, I'm, I'm going through this extremely difficult situation. My mindset's gradually shifting. I mean, did, did it change? Was there a moment when it, I felt the change to the difference or the change, like the negative change? Like yeah, which part? I guess more so asking, yeah, like if there was like a clear rock bottom, a bottoming out, which led to the change or whether it was just a gradual kind of change of, of the way you were thinking about things. Well, there are a couple things that happened right when I was diagnosed. First of all, it was October. The day I was diagnosed was October 1st, which is the day of 
breast cancer, the first day of breast cancer awareness month. And, and, and the reason it's significant is because for, for the next 30 days, I had to look at advertisements and, you know, breast cancer awareness month is a, a, a big marketing month. And so I'm sure you've seen it, but there's pink everywhere. And even the NFL, they wear pink socks and there's a lot of uh, hoopla around breast cancer awareness month. And I just was looking around everywhere going, I can't believe that I was diagnosed the beginning of this month. Cause I didn't want to see any of it. And then the other thing that happened was my son who was in boarding school at the time was coming home the first weekend after I was diagnosed. And then he got in trouble from school. And during this whole process of me realizing that, you know, this whole external facade that I was dependent on was about to get, you know, go away. I had really dark thoughts about, you know, taking my life and just quitting. I just didn't want to move on with my life. There was things going on in my house. And I just was like, I give up. I just quit. And because my son was stalled by coming home, it gave my friends about three weeks before he came home before I, because I was planning on saying just goodbye to him and just saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not fighting this. I'm not gonna, I'm not moving forward in this. I'm just, I'm tired. And this is just my lot in life. And so, but those three weeks with my friends, they would come over every day. They would pour into me. They would say, your life has meaning. This season will end. I know things look very dark, but we will never forsake you. And they started to rebuild my trust in people. I started to have a deeper faith. And, and, that, and by the time my son came home, I had my first chemotherapy on Halloween, which then became kind of a significant symbol for me. And I decided at that point that I was going to fight for my life. And so that, you know, the, for the first three weeks of the diagnosis, I, that was definitely rock bottom. But, you know, as they kept showing up, that was the shift. So I think it was a little bit gradual, but it took about three weeks for me to be convinced that if these people kept showing up for me, why wasn't I showing up for me? Do you think like looking back now, if those people hadn't been there, do you think you would have made it through? No, I would have quit for sure. Yeah. And that's why it's so critical for us to show other people to storytell. So people don't feel alone to show up for people. You know, I, I especially think it's so important now after COVID because I think we're still a little bit isolated and I still think we're in a little bit of shock by being so isolated. It's so unhealthy. And so I think, you know, showing up for people and sharing these types of stories so that again, people are not feeling so isolated in their own pain. Right. Right. So in terms of, you know, when you, when you look towards the future, uh, what besides, you know, continuing your, your degree, uh, what else, what other projects are you excited about? What, what other projects do you hope to be involved with in just as you, as you look ahead? Well, my book is slated to become a film. It's gone through a couple impasses just because of COVID, but I'm really excited about that project. You know, it's, I can talk all day long about my story and say, well, this is how not to live. And this is how to live. And these are the tools to get there. And I can impact one person's life or I can impact millions. So the bigger the platform, the more I can impact. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm also working with different brands now. Like I've had two meetings with Victoria's Secrets because they are the second largest brand in the world. That's what they told me. And it took me about a year to get my first meeting with them and a little bit longer to get my second meeting with them. But I'd love to collaborate with them. 
to just have them represent the breast cancer community. Cause I think so many women who've lost their chest need to feel feminine and beautiful. And of course that's what Victoria Secrets represents. And so I think by collaborating with brands like that and kind of knocking on doors like brands like that and getting their attention, I think that would help other people in this breast cancer space. And, and, and you know, again, I think it's so critical for brands to represent all, you know, different factions of life and breast cancer is on the rise and unfortunately, you know, causes great pain in so many women and their families and their surrounding friends that it's an important topic. And I think that brands should represent that demographic. Got it. And, you know, you mentioned that having taken a year to get that meeting with Victoria's Secret, what, what is the process of kind of, I assume you have to probably employ a lot of tenacity in order to, uh, yes. you know, get, get through, get those meetings you want, get those phone calls with people. Yeah. Um, what, tell me just about what, what you've learned in your, probably since, you know, your, your beginnings uh, of modeling, just what have you <laughs> learned about how to, how to get, how to open those doors? Well, I think that the, the more secure that I have in my own self-worth, the easier it is to get meetings because I don't care about the outcome. If they say no, it's okay. Like that's not a negative for me. It's just the fact that I've put myself out there to try that gives me encouragement. And so for a year, when I was trying to get in touch with them, I do have a manager. So she and I were both working on this. But, you know, the whole year that I was doing it, I didn't lose faith that it would ever happen. Now, they haven't employed me to do anything with them. I've only had two meetings with them, but I have faith we're going to continue these conversations because I have faith in myself. I have faith in my tenacity, but I also have faith in humanity that the, these types of brands will represent this community. And, and because I have an unstoppable self-esteem, I'm the girl to do it. You know, there's so many people who are like, I don't know, I'm you know, if I put myself out there, you know, maybe they'll reject me. I don't have that inside of my personality anymore. I did. Um, and so, but I've, you know, worked that out with letting go of my pride, letting go of my ego and not being so fixated on the outcome. And when you have that ability to do that, then you're, it's, it's easier to get, you know, further in this type of, you know, plight that I'm trying to get to them. And I would think in addition to just getting the meeting, I would think, I mean, people I feel like are so, they can, they can feel obviously like, you know, your own sense of confidence or self-assuredness, like probably within that meeting or meetings, yes. I would think that if someone, it's almost like if someone's like rejecting themselves because they have low self-confidence, it's like makes it pretty darn easy for the other individual or the other company or group or whatever to reject them, I feel like. Um, whereas it seems like with that, like unstoppable self-confidence and yeah. kind of ability in yourself or, or uh, assuredness in your ability, it seems like that's going to just people's reactions are going to be way different. Well, the other thing is, I think that people see that it's not self-serving. And I think that makes a difference. I'm not doing this for me. I'm good with who I am. I'm doing this for the people that have reached out to me saying, their self-confidence has been shattered and I want them to be represented. So that's, that's another interesting shift because, yeah, I mean, I, I think about just like, uh, I don't know, a job interview or something. If I was just going in to just like 
you know, I just want this as like to build my resume, to do this, to do that. If I came in it with that sort of attitude of just me, 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 you know, what can you do for me rather than like, oh, I really like what your guys's mission is like as a company, um, as an organization, I really want to be a part and like serve, you know, to help yeah. you get like, that just seems like such a different um, attitude that, that, um, that people are going to be so much more receptive to. Well, I don't think you can fake that attitude. And for, for so long, it was just about me. Like, what can I get from the modeling world? What can I get from society? And I remember that, right? But you can never get anything from things that can be taken away, right? All of those things can be taken away. My beauty was, was taken away. My, the things that we own, those can be taken away. And so, but people see through that, right? And so because I shifted and because I changed my perspective, I, I truly am doing this for other people and to serve and to be altruistic. And it's not, that's not ego. That's not pride. That's not arrogance. It's selflessness. And I'm not looking for accolades for this. This is not about like my resume. I mean, if you, you read my resume, it's long, but I don't get all pumped up about that. That's insignificant to me. It's the impact that I get pumped up about. I, I love seeing people's messages that say, because you did this in New York Fashion Week, I was able to not wear my prosthetic to work today. And I did go, this one woman said, I, I, I was able to not wear my prosthetic. I ended up coming home and putting my prosthetic on, but I didn't wear it for an hour. That's growth for her. That's one person that is moving forward in her self-esteem because she's watching me with courage. I would do that all day long. That's not self, that's selfless, but I'm not looking for accolades about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that just hearing someone's story of, of how your message then inspired them, it sounds like means way more to you rather than, you know, getting another accolade, which, you know, is, is not necessarily important to you anymore. Yeah, I, somebody reached out to me on social media the other day and she said, can I send you my book? I wrote this book after my breast cancer diagnosis. And I said, of course, I'd be happy to read it. And she said, you're the reason I wrote it. I have never seen this person's name. I've never seen this person's picture. I've never seen this person's profile. And I said, wow, you know, why, why is that? And she said, well, I've been watching your journey and I've read your book and I've seen how you've affected other people's lives. Now we can get messages from people that say you've changed my life, but there's so many other people that we don't even know about that we're affecting their life. And it's that reach, right? And, and it's not, again, it's, we'll never know the reach that we have, but if we continue to do what we're doing, I know for a fact that I'm changing people's lives. And that's why, that's what fuels me to keep going. Cause it's the people that I don't even know about that I don't need their recognition. I don't need them to message me, but I know that you know, that kind of ocean and these waves that are going out because I'm trying to in inspire and give people courage and show courage. That's what matters. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, Christine, we're, we're coming up onto the end of the show today. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed having this, this talk with you. And for people who also enjoyed it, who, who want to connect with you, want to learn more about your work, where would you direct them to? So my website is christinehandy.com. I am on Instagram at christinehandy1. 
I do, I do respond to my messages on Instagram. I don't normally respond much on Facebook, but if you Google Christine Handy, you can read some articles and stuff like the fashion week article. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> that's online. That's a great article. And there's a couple articles in Forbes and stuff that are talk a little bit about what I do. Awesome. And I'll, I'll try to uh, find those and link them in the show notes yeah. for the, for the listeners. Um, and for those of you who did enjoy the show today, go ahead and like, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, NeuroFlex podcast. You can see full episodes, also podcast clips on there. And then you can find the podcast on whatever major audio streaming platform that you listen to, whether that be Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, or any of the other ones, we are pretty much on them all. So Christina, again, I wanted to really thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing all of you know, your story and, and you just, just your wisdom with us. So, so thank you. Thank you.